You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Let me show you a picture of, of Colleen and me. Grace, if you would put that up. Yeah. What, what year was that? 2017? Uh, didn't realize a side effect of the pandemic was the loss of hair, huh? <laughs> I met that beautiful lady, Colleen, my wife, in 1982. And in the summer of 1982, her father, Dr. David Foster, who's now in heaven, was preaching at a family camp outside of Stanwood, Washington, and my dad was attending. And uh, on one of the evenings where Dr. Foster was, was preaching, he opened the altar, and there was probably about 40, maybe 50 people. It was a big tabernacle that we were at the altar, and one of them was my father, and it just so happened that Colleen's dad went down and he knelt on the other side of the altar out of all those people with my dad and asked my dad, Wes, uh, what do you want to pray about? And he said, well, pray for my son who's going to be a senior in college. I think I was a reoccurring prayer request, if you, <laughs> if you would imagine. And, uh, and uh, Dad Foster said to my dad, said, well, let's pray also for my daughter, Colleen, who's also going to be a senior. And so they, on their knees at that altar, yeah, at Warm Beach Camp, they prayed for Dennis and Colleen. Seven days later, seven days later at the same camp, it was Camp Sunday, and uh, I was there and I was talking to a friend of mine named John, when up walked one of the prettiest girls I've ever seen in a blue dress that made her eyes just pop. And it was like, wow. And so the next day I called her, asked her out, and she turned me down. And uh, true story, I know it's hard to believe, you know, it's just, yeah. But she did, but if, if I'm nothing, I'm persistent. And I kept after it, and uh, one week after we graduated from Seattle Pacific University in June of 1983, we were married by our fathers. And I tell you that story, well, first of all, it's a cool story, but, but second of all, our marriage literally was birthed out of prayer, literally, birthed out of prayer. The scripture that was just read to you by Jan, and she did such a great job with the voice inflection, with she really put uh, life into that scripture, can revolutionize your life. That's not hyperbole, it's the truth powerful story that Jesus tells about prayer, where we can partner with God in prayer, and partnering with God in prayer uh, unleashes the power of heaven. It unleashes incredible power in prayer, but it calls for perseverance in prayer, and then it needs to be centered on God's will. If we have time, we may not have time, uh, I want to end with an application around some forms of prayer and some habits of prayer, but I don't know if we'll have time to get to that this morning. But first of all, I wanted us to take uh, uh, a survey. And so if you'd pull out your, your phone, and it should show up on, on the screen, you go to slido, S-L-I-D-O dot com, and then enter in once you get there, slido.com. You're going to take a two-question survey. And there's a number. Grace, could you put up that number? You go to slido.com, and the number is 2697445. Do you have it on a slide, Grace? Okay. 2697445. The first question is this. When was the last time you saw an answer to prayer? 
When was the last time you saw an answer prayer? You should see that on your phone. A, this week. B, last month. C, this year. D, never. Question number two. Uh, do you have an important, an urgent, a meaningful prayer request that's on your heart? Is there a burden on your heart this morning for yourself or for someone else? Um, a, yes. B, no. Slido, 2697445. We'll look at the results in a, in a few moments. First of all, let's start out that the scripture, Jesus is crystal clear that partnering with God in prayer unleashes great power. It says, and will not God, verse 7, give justice to, who's, to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he'll give justice to them speedily. We see this throughout Jesus' life, the power of prayer. Even before Jesus was born, in Luke 1:37, the angel was speaking to, to Mary and was replying to her question when she said, I'm a virgin, how can I give birth? And his response was this, for nothing is impossible with God. And God said the same thing to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, 27, where he says, is anything too hard for me? Then in Mark 1.35, we get a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life, and it says that, that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, went to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus habitually started his day in prayer. He loved to pray. In fact, Jesus' closest associates, the apostles, they observed Jesus' life up close, and they came by observing his life to the conclusion that prayer was key to his life and to his ministry. So in Luke 11.1, 1, they said to Jesus, they didn't say, teach us to preach, or teach us to organize, or teach us to fundraise, or any of those things, or teach us how to use Google Ads or whatever, but teach us to pray. In Luke 6.12, it informs us that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Then it's interesting, it goes on, it says that uh, the next morning he called his 12 disciples to him. In other words, before Jesus made one of the most strategic and key leadership decisions in his ministry, he prayed all night. Then the night before he was nailed to the cross, Luke 22:41 tells us Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. So before facing the biggest, most painful challenge of his life, what did Jesus do? He prayed. Not only did Jesus believe in prayer and live a life of prayer, but he also taught about the power of prayer. Just one example in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And to the one who seeks will find. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe in the power of prayer? And is that belief reflected in how you live? Which do we do more of? Worry? Or pray, which is bigger in our lives and in our minds, emotionally, our problems or our God? You see, how big our God is determines how strong our faith is, and how strong our faith is determines the quality of our prayer life. Isaiah 6.3 says this about God, heaven and earth are full of your glory. 
In other words, there's abundant evidence from the universe and from planet Earth and our lives that reflect the creativity and the brilliance and the intelligence and the power of our eternal Heavenly Father, maker of heaven and earth, with whom nothing is impossible. Let me give you an example of his greatness reflected here on Earth. During the nine months that you were being developed in your mother's womb, every second, 150 neurons were being created in your fetal brain. Every second for nine months, 150 neurons being developed. A neuron is a nerve cell that sends and receives an electrical signal which allows us to think and live and decide and, and act and have being. Scientists don't know how many neurons are in your brain, but they estimate from my research that it is between 10 billion and 1 trillion neurons in your brain. Except for the neurons that you ruined in college, but we won't talk about that. That's why we take communion, huh? Jesus came for sinners such as I. Anyway, my father and my dad praying for me. Now you know. Okay, each neuron has on average 20,000 synapses. A synapse connects neurons together. And each uh, neuron has 20,000 synapses. So quick mathematicians, if there's 10 billion to 1 trillion uh, neurons in your brain and they each have 20,000 synapses, uh, what is that number? I did the math, and it is exactly ginormous, is what it is. <laughs> if we had a supercomputer that could count a thousand synapses a second, which we don't, it would take it between 10 and 15,000 years to come to the total of the synapses in one human brain. <laughs> that blows my mind. So turn to the person next to you and say, you are more intelligent than I give you credit for. <laughs> no, 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 Jim, don't say that. You know, especially to Robbie. He's still, you know, we need to love on Robbie this week, huh? And Robbie, don't tell Jim, okay? Just don't. I'll, I'll buy you lunch or something. That's our little secret. So my question is this. How big is the God that you pray to? Jesus believed and taught that nothing is impossible with God. So partnership with God in prayer unleashes great power. Let me give you uh, two quick up-to-date examples. Just a couple of weeks ago, Colleen was talking to our friend, I'll call her M, and M was frustrated with her husband's uh, ex-wife um, because she was being a pill. They were trying to coordinate getting the kids out here for Christmas to be with M and, and uh, her husband, our friend, and she wasn't cooperating, and in fact, it was exact opposite. And I heard Colleen say on her cell phone, uh, you know, what's impossible for us is possible with God. And I heard her pray with our friend. Two hours later, Colleen's phone pinged. And she showed me the, the text, and it was from M. And she said, you won't believe this, but Jay, that's the initial of the ex-wife who's been a real pill, uh, just called me and apologized for the first time ever and said, I was wrong, and the, the kids can come out for Christmas, and it's all going to work out according to the tickets that they had already bought and so forth. The power of prayer. Jesus taught that there's great power. Jesus believed that. Jesus lived a life of prayer. Let me give you another quick example. Uh, this morning, I think in the second service, little Bodie, three-year-old Bodie, who's part of our church we've been praying for, who has cancer, he just had a scan, and there's no cancer in his bone marrow. Praise the Lord. God answers prayer. 
And so this parable should, first of all, strengthen our faith that prayer moves mountains. Then number two, Jesus' parable teaches that partnership with God calls for persistence in prayer. Let's look at verse 1, 4, and 5, and 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not become discouraged, not lose heart. For a while the judge refused. But afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man because this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. I love that phrase. So she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And then at the end he asks us this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will we keep praying? That's what he is saying. Or will we be beat down by the circumstances of life? Or will we persist? I love in the new King James Version, it uses an old word in verse 5, which we don't hear very often anymore, importunity. I love that word. Importunity means this, bold persistence to the point of annoyance. Bold persistence to the point of annoyance. The widow asking the judge for justice wouldn't take no for an answer. He woke up in the morning and she was on his front yard lawn with a bullhorn saying, give me justice. He saw her all day in her courtroom going, you know, you know, I need justice. He would sit down for dinner. He'd see her on her sidewalk with a billboard. Give me justice. You know, she was persistent to the point of annoyance in asking the judge for justice. She will beat me down, it says. I think my five-year-old grandson, Buckaroo, is hardwired for importunity, <laughs> you know, to beat you down. And so, you know, walk, you know, uh, park, uh, climb climb, park, walk, and he keeps it up until we're out the door and we're going down to the park and we're climbing on the rocks, you know, uh, uh, persistence to the point of being annoying, Buckaroo can do that, he gets it from his grandmother, so, in, <laughs> in, but in verse, but in verse seven, it says, his people who cry out to him day and night, there's certain things we need to pray about and just, and just be a bulldog with a bone and not give up on it. I, I love that Jesus taught from the example of the widow that, that God wants authenticity and he wants uh, endurance in our prayers. I think one of the reasons that God's saying you have to persist in prayer is how slowly do we change, huh? And how slowly does the human race change? And then you throw into the mix that there's spiritual warfare in prayer and we have an active enemy who wants to, to kill, steal, and destroy you and your family and the kingdom of God and our church and everything else like that. Acts 12.5 is instructive on this point. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer means that they were serious and focused they truly believed in God's goodness and greatness and power, and they stayed after it. An African-American pastor friend of mine, Jimmy, says it this way, PUSH, it's an acronym, uh, pray until something happens. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says it this way, pray without ceasing. It calls for persistence in prayer, to have power in prayer. Let's look at the survey results, if we would. Can you pull that up, Grace? Grace and I are working on this. We may not be able to get it done, but we're hoping so. 
Okay, that's okay. That's, that's all right. That's all right. Well, let's, let's do it the old-fashioned way, okay? Um, the first question, I believe, was when was the last time you had an answer to prayer, okay? It, uh, this last week, would you raise your hand up high so people can see? Look around. Look around. Wow! Wow, I would estimate that's a good solid, would you agree with me, 33 to 40%? You're our, you're our judge panel, so, you know, give me some, yeah, thank you, thank you, finally a leader. Uh, how about this last month? Raise your hand up high, okay. Okay, I should have specified if you raised your hand for the first one, don't raise your hand for the second one, okay? So we can, and, and then how about this last year? This last year, okay. I, I won't ask the last one. I'm not looking to embarrass anybody. I've never. And, but I hope that if that is the case, that the Holy Spirit will speak through his word this morning and it'll change your life in this whole thing of prayer because I've seen it time and again, the power of prayer. By far, many of my best memories over the years of being a pastor were because of answers to prayer. Hands down. It's so wonderful. Okay, the second question is, did you come to church this morning with a prayer burden, with something on your heart that needs prayer? If, if A was yes, so if yes, raise your hand real high, and I would, I would say 50% judges, would you agree with that? Good, solid, 50%, maybe 60%. Okay, okay, interesting. Finally, we learn in Jesus' parable that partnership with God in prayer is centered upon God's will. Let me explain that. Notice that Jesus repeats in this story the, the word, the concept of justice. If you look at verses 3, 5, 7, and 8 on that, give me justice, the woman asked for. Then the judge, who is the contrast to God, God is just, but the, he, this unjust judge says, I will give her justice. And then Jesus saying, will not God give justice to his elect? And then, last in verse 8, he will, give them he will give justice to them speedily. Justice is always God's will. God is a God of justice. Psalm 89, 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. We need justice, and we want justice in our lives, don't we? If we have a fence dispute with a neighbor, we want justice. If there's bonus pay at stake that's in our contract, but it's not coming, we want justice. When a loved one is attacked, we want justice. When we have a homeowner's claim, we want justice from our insurance company. And then equally true, our world wants and needs justice. The 49.6 people who are slaves around the globe today cry out for justice. The 50,000 women and children across the United States that are being sexually trafficked today call out for justice. The astounding 2 billion people globally who don't have access to clean water call for justice. The 360 million Christians worldwide that live under the fear and the pain of persecution call out for justice. And God says to us through this parable, pray about these things. Unleash the power of heaven to help us as we seek to address these problems here in our lives and in our world. You see, prayer isn't a substitute for action. It is the first or the primary action which then guides and empowers and blesses all subsequent action. David experienced injustice 
as he was persecuted by King Saul. And in Psalm 109.5, notice what he says his response is to injustice. He wrote, in return for my friendship, they accused me, but I am a man of prayer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, you helped us by your prayers. Helped is a Greek word, sunopergeo, where we get the word synergism. When we pray for others, we unleash the power of spiritual synergism. Where two or more gathered, he's there. If two or more will agree, it shall be done for them by their Father in heaven. Synergism is when two or more parties cooperate, cooperate together with an effect that is a multiplication of what they could do individually. Let me give you an example. A powerful draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds, but two draft horses synergistically pulling together can do 24,000 pounds, and if they train to work together to start at the exact same time, they've been able to go up to 32,000 pounds. So just think of the power unleashed when we pray together in unity along with God's help. But let's make no mistake about it. Prayer is not a Pez candy dispenser, and God is not Santa Claus. Power in prayer flows when, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, our true, authentic attitude is, thy will be done. James 4.3 teaches us that you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your sinful passions. If our prayers are selfishly motivated by things such as greed or sloth or envy or ego, God will not answer Yet, it isn't selfish to pray for our legitimate needs and desires in life. To pray for a godly spouse, for an adult child, is not a selfish prayer. But where prayer goes to an, another level is when we seek a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, and through the infilling of his blessed Holy Spirit, so our will and God's will begin to mesh synergistically. During the last two years of, of high school and my first year of college, I worked at a sawmill in Arlington, Washington. It was a good job, but it didn't pay much. So one summer day, I was having lunch by myself in my 68 VW Bug, and I was thinking about the coming uh, school year and, and the tuition that had gone up. I was paying my way through school, and I was worried about that. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, Mark 11.24 hit my neurons. I didn't know what Mark 11:24 said, but I happened to have a, a little New Testament in my car that I still have in my office, a little red New Testament. So I pulled it out, and I was astonished when I read these words, Mark 11:24. therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and will be yours. And there in my VW bug, just, I had this sense of peace. And I asked God for a better job to be able to, to pay the tuition for, for college coming up. Two weeks later, I was hired at Veterans Hospital in Seattle, Washington for triple the pay. That's, they've, they've repurposed it, but back when I was in college, that was Veterans Hospital. The building's still there, but now, it, now it's condos uh, there in Seattle. And triple the pay I was getting at the sawmill. How good is the God that you worship? How great is the God that you worship? We can't overestimate God's goodness and greatness. A problem in Jesus' parable here is the word speedily in verse eight. 
Won't he speedily give it to them? Because how many times do we wait and wait and we pray and we pray and nothing happens? If we did a survey on that, I think it'd be most of us who would raise our hands. I would. That's made worse for us Americans who are habituated for immediate gratification. But speedily in Jesus' parable is not that it happens instantaneously, but when God ordains for it to happen, it'll then happen immediately according to his timing. Sometimes the reality is the answer to our prayers don't happen in our lifetime. I, I love Hebrews 11, the, the great uh, faith hall of fame. And it says this in verses 33 and 34. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. That gets me all kinds of fired up. I, I think of uh, William Wallace in Braveheart, you know, freedom, you know, you just, that, that's so cool. This speaks to the supernatural power of God activated by faith in prayer. God flat out does miracles in answer to prayer. I believe it, I've seen it, the Bible says it. But then it goes on in this scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, it says this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others su suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You remember that Jesus prayed for Lazarus to be resurrected, and Lazarus came out of the grave. But then Jesus prayed not to go to the cross, and what did God say? No, son, trust me, I have a better plan that included us. That's what communion is about. Um, and so partnership with God in prayer is centered on God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel, where uh, Nebuchadnezzar's gonna throw them in, and they go, oh, oh king, um, our God can deliver us, our God will deliver us, but if not... If he doesn't deliver us, we still won't bow the knee to you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Grace, skip over the next few slides. I don't have time for habits and, and forms of prayer. Let's just go to the Narnia slide, if you would, Grace. Thanks. I, I don't know about you, but I so enjoy, my family so enjoy C.S. Lewis's delightful Narnia series of stories. And in the voyage of the Dawn Treader, young Lucy, her brother Edmund, and their, their cousin Eustace are, are on a, a voyage to the island where dreams come true and also nightmares come true. They get close, and uh, the ship is enveloped in this dark, ominous darkness, and the crew has lost uh, hope. They're uh, going overboard and so forth. And so in desperation, Lucy prays to the great uh, king, the lion Aslan, which is the Christ figure in the Narnia series. And she prays, Aslan, Aslan, if ever you loved us at all, send us help now. And the book goes on and says that the darkness doesn't go away, but Lucy feels just a tiny bit better. Then 
The story goes on, and this small ray of light comes on the ship, and Lucy sees what she thinks is a cross, and then it gets closer, and she realizes it's an albatross with his wings spread in flight, and it circles the ship three times, lights on the mast, and then takes off, and it leads the ship back out into the light. When it circled around the ship, it came close to Lucy, and in Aslan's voice, she heard, courage, dear heart. And when life is dark and scary, and it gets there, doesn't it, I encourage you to call out to Jesus and wait for the still, small voice of the Spirit of God saying, peace, be still, dear heart. 